Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC. Pillar and Ground is a podcast for the LMPC family so that we may deepen in our knowledge of the ground on which we stand and increase our connection with whom we stand together in community and mission. Pillar and Ground features three different types of episodes. Pillar and Ground, our confession of faith. Pillar and Ground, our connections. Pillar and Ground, our questions. This episode is a pillar and ground, our confession episode, where we seek to understand our confession of faith. And since it is the first episode, we will begin with the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'll be using a modern translation that we'll make available online in our show notes through a PDF. It's also available in Chad Van Dixhorn's work on the confession. That is called Confessing the Faith, a Reader's Guide to the Westminster Confession of Faith. I highly recommend Chad Van Dixhorn's work, as well as R.C. Sproul's work, The Truths We Confess. Those are two very primary resources that I've used along with the Scripture in this study. Before we begin the, the Westminster Assembly, we will not do a lot of history about that right now, maybe in future episodes. But the Westminster Assembly was summoned to reform the church in 1643. And what they came up with, the divines they call it, is a summary of Christian theology and the Reformation tradition. As Chad Van Dixhorn says, certainly the Westminster Confession of Faith is a reliable guide to the Scripture, and the Scripture is the only reliable guide to God. It's very interesting to note where the Westminster Confession of Faith begins. It begins with the subject of revelation. How does God make himself known? The confession believes that before knowing who God is, we must establish how we know him. So chapter 2 will begin who he is, but first chapter, how we know him. And there are two primary ways. One of the ways is insufficient for salvation, but leaves us without excuse. It is called general or natural revelation. The confession reads in this way in chapter 1, although the light of nature and works of creation and providence manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God to such an extent that men are without excuse, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will which is necessary for salvation. In Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, it reads, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, but God God has made it plain to them. In general revelation, God makes the reality of his existence and his creation of the world plain. Now, as Romans says, that can be suppressed, but it is still plain to all. So God does reveal himself through general or natural revelation. The psalmist in Psalm 19, which is a wonderful psalm, if you want to begin to understand the doctrine of revelation, is this. First, the psalmist shows how God reveals himself in the world. But then he shows how God reveals himself in the word. Psalm 19 begins with the revelation of God with words like, The heavens declare the glory of God. 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Do you see how creation's talking? Declaration, proclamation. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. These words of the creation and the world is telling us something. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth with their words to the ends of the world. So you can see in these first four voices that the confession states what is true, that general revelation manifests the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God. It is General revelation is God's wordless speech. It's, as it were, his nonverbal communication. He points to who he is through his art in the creation. That's how you begin to know there is an artist. You cannot mute creation's voice, but you can suppress it. Creation and God's work in the world affects you like art. It moves you to tears. It makes you tremble. It leaves you speechless. But you are never to confuse the art with the artist, the creation with the creator. The heavens are not God, but they tell the glory of God. There is a firm distinction between the creator and the creation, and that's why in Psalm 19, in verses 5 through 6, it says, In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. That is particularly important because in that ancient Near Eastern world, the heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, and stars, were thought of as divine beings that exercised power over their realms and over humans. But in Psalm 19, the sun is one of the works of the divine hand, God's hand, and the heavens carry out his bidding and are submissive to him. Creation, as we see in these first 16 verses, and as the Westminster Confession makes clear, is Trinitarian artistic expression of his beauty and his character. And what is great about this is this is not art in an elite museum where only a few can enjoy. No. Notice what God says in Psalm 19. Day after day, night after night, meaning you can see it all the time. Psalm 19.4, their voice goes out into all the earth, all the ends of the world, which means this, all peoples, all places, all the time have access to the museum of Trinitarian art. That's general revelation when the confession says works of creation and providence manifest the goodness wisdom and power of god romans 10 18 says did they not hear of course they did it's been revealed in general revelation as chad van dixhorn states in our evangelism and defense of the faith we are simply reminding unbelievers what they already know Every person knows enough about God that they ought never to stop searching for him. And yet many suppress and stop the search. But God's wordless speech, his general revelation, is limited. 
in that it is insufficient for salvation, as Westminster Confession of Faith 1 says. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave man inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary to salvation. General revelation cannot lead to salvation. It requires Scripture to properly interpret what is seen and known. Human wisdom and perception, as we see in 1 Corinthians 1.21, has limits. We cannot find our way unto salvation through general revelation. We are limited. 1 Corinthians 1.21 that says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. We cannot be saved through wordless speech. We need special revelation. We all know this. Nonverbal communication generally is mixed and unclear. It's hard to interpret. I had this happen to me in my early years of ministry here at Lookout Mountain. There was a member of our church who, during every sermon I preached, was found in tears. And I thought to myself, I am really getting through. And later, that member came to me and revealed she just wanted me to not be distracted by her because she has a tear duck problem. I misinterpreted the nonverbal communication. You see, I needed words from her to properly interpret. The knowledge of the Creator communicated by the splendor of the heavens needs an interpreter, needs words, and that's Scripture. And so God speaks in general revelation through His world, but in special revelation through His Word. This is called special revelation. The confession says, therefore, the Holy Scripture is most necessary. Most necessary for what? The confession says, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world. We and our salvation it is built on the pillar of truth, as 2 Timothy 3.15 says, that we have known the holy scriptures which are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 in those first verses taught us of general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God and all those proclamations and pouring forth the speech. But then verse 7 turns to this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Do you see the speech is changed from in the world to the word? It revives the soul. The statues of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. And by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. By them is your servant warned. The confession says the scriptures are there 
to establish the church in salvation, but to comfort the church against corruption of flesh and of Satan and of the world. By them we are warned. And so the doctrine of Scripture's necessity simply means that without God's word, we have no relationship with him. Necessity does not mean that he had to speak to us, for he could not have spoken to us and remained fully God. He is bound to no one. The necessity of the word is necessary for our salvation, not for his deity. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 would speak about how God has been revealing himself through special revelation at various times and in diverse ways. The confession says what Hebrews 1 says, Therefore it pleased the Lord at various times and in diverse ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church. And afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit this revelation most holy to writing. Therefore, the Holy Scripture is most necessary. God's former ways of revealing his will to his people having ceased. He has now committed his revelation wholly to us in writing. He reveals himself now in scriptures, no longer by dreams, by visions, by prophets. God's special revelation is now through his word. God's former ways of revealing himself to his people have ceased. Yes, he does reveal himself through the preaching of his word, through the sacraments and worship, but that is always under the authority of the Bible alone. Scripture is necessary because man has broken the covenant of works and we need the grace of God. And we cannot find our way to God through rationalism, but only through revelation. Consider the wonder of special revelation through his word as Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Peter writes these words referring to Scripture. He says this, excuse me, 119. Um, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Charles Spurgeon said this of that verse. Peter was with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, and nothing could shake Peter's conviction that had been there in the midst of that heavenly glory. And yet for all that, Peter says concerning the inspired word, we have a more sure word. Consider that. Peter felt that even the memory of that vision of transfiguration, which he had assuredly seen, did not always yield to him so much assurance as did the abidingly inspired word of God. And you and I ought to feel the same. So special revelation is unique because it gives, it's given for distinct purposes to guide our interpretation of general revelation. After the fall, to correct our sinful distortions of general revelation and to bring us God's promise of salvation through Christ, a message not available through general revelation. In closing, I'm so encouraged by how the confession frames the gift of Scripture, that it is there for comfort against the corruption of flesh and the malice of Satan in the world. 
The confession understands in its first chapter that following Christ in this world is a battle. In one episode of Band of Brothers, the paratroopers are preparing to go in, and they pass a group that's just come out. And the group that's just come out of the battle says, you're going to be surrounded. And one of the paratroopers says, we're paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded. I think the confession of faith in chapter one gives a resounding message. We're Christians. We're supposed to be surrounded. But as we land in this embattled world, God has given us his word for comfort and for guidance against the corruption of flesh and the malice of Satan and this world. Thank you for joining us on this Pillar and Ground podcast. We hope you will join us again.